I'm so glad to be here. Can you say that? You know, the Holy Spirit fills us with gladness, with thanksgiving, with joy. That's what I feel coming here today. And uh, I was trying to think how to start, and I felt like the Holy Spirit leading me to, you repeat after me, Jesus is Lord. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Abba Father. Abba Father. That's how the Lord wanted us to start today. I wanted you to start, me to start. Putting first things first. He's first. He's first. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is everything for us. And especially for us as we talk about being his evangelists. His missionaries. He's everything for us, which is a good thing. Think of yourself in China and you have to do it. Or would you rather think of yourself in China, God sent you there, and He's going to do it? Isn't that a more con consoling thought? And that's the way it works. The other day in the Liturgy of the Hours, I found a verse that says, It is He who has accomplished all we have done. It is he who has accomplished all we have done. I think Jeannie and I as missionaries have done a lot, but it's he who accomplished all we have done. We couldn't have done anything and everything we would have done wouldn't have been worth anything unless he's in it. Uh, I've said to the missionaries who come to us to be full-time foreign missionaries, I say, you can't be a missionary because you want to. You can only be a missionary because you're called. Not everyone here is called to be a foreign missionary, so maybe you have to continue praying about that one. But we are called and established as a people who bear witness, who are evangelists, who speak the word of God. We were happy to notice the other day, or a few months, or a couple of years ago, in the baptism of one of our grandchildren, the priest used one of the forms that is in the rite of baptism, and he, he anointed our little goddaughter, granddaughter, granddaughter on, the, uh, on the ears first, I think. He anointed her ears, and he said, Hear the word of God. And then he anointed her lips and he said, Speak the word of God. My little granddaughter was anointed in the church by God to be an evangelist and a missionary. Our church is by nature missionary. We are all baptized into the vocation or work of evangelization. That's who we are. We're going to have a talk later on. Uh, the Pope likes to call all of us missionary disciples. We no longer think of ourselves just as disciples. A disciple is a student. Jesus is the master, the teacher. We are all disciples. But it's not enough to learn it all. It's not enough to know it all. It's not enough to follow Jesus in a good, holy way. We are also sent by God. We are sent by God. You are sent by God. On the day of judgment, we stand before the Lord as those who were sent to announce good news to all creation, to the ends of the earth. And God will review our life from that perspective. How did we serve as those who are sent? My talk today is on this idea which is in, contained in a book by George Weigel. How many of you know who George Weigel is? He wrote a very popular book not long ago, a biography of the life of Pope Francis, and it was, became popular reading. Uh, and he came into the limelight during that time. He's a Catholic layman who is a church historian and he's highly respected in the church today. He came to Lafayette within the last year and he gave a talk 
That is the title of the book he's recently published, titled Evangelical Catholicism. Evangelical Catholicism. That's an important theme for someone who's an evangelist and a missionary like yourselves. That's an important theme. He says the church is transitioning, which is good because John, Pope Francis is saying he wants to see a transition of the church. The church is transitioning, and Weigel says, from an era which we can think of as counter-reformation devotions. Counter-reformation devotions. That's the era, the past era of the church. The church is no longer being called upon to identify itself principally as someone who's against Protestants. There was a time when they were against us and we were against them. But that time is passing. That time is being transitioned away. And we're coming into a new time. A time of evangelical Catholicism. Or as Joseph says, some like to say, Gospel Catholicism. And we're going to look today at what it means to be in the era of evangelical Catholicism. I remember years ago when I became involved in the charismatic renewal. Uh, I love the charismatic renewal. I wanted to say that because no one else does. <laughs> and uh, I'm so proud of my background in the charismatic renewal. And I remember uh, years ago when it got started, everybody looked like heresy to everybody. And uh, a cardinal in, in Europe, Cardinal Sunins, wrote a book, he cut, I think he titled it Catholic Pentecostalism. Catholic Pentecostalism. So charismatics were understood as people who have a, a similarity to Pentecostals. And that made us feel pretty good to hear a cardinal say, you can be a Catholic and have some Pentecostal leanings. So that was good. <laughs> he did not suggest that all Catholics should be Pentecostal. He didn't say that. Uh, some have said that. I've felt that many times, that all Catholics should have a Pentecostal leaning. But he didn't say that. The church didn't say that. What the church did was approve of the Pentecostal movement in the Catholic Church, that this move of the Holy Spirit brought blessings and graces that are needed in the church. Praise the Lord. They didn't suggest we all be Pentecostals. It's different today. Today we're talking about evangelical Catholicism. And the church is saying all Catholics need to be evangelical Catholics. All Catholics. Not just some who happen to like that kind of thing. <laughs> all of us are called to live up to our apostolate of evangelizing the world. We have a responsibility to do it. And uh, so we may, you may still want to shy away from associating too much with Pentecostals, but you can't shy away from being an evangelical. Now, we don't want all of you to rush off and join the Baptist church. That's not the purpose of the weekend. Uh, but we do want to understand that in our church, in the teaching of our church, in the life into which we were baptized, we're evangelists. You are an evangelist. We might ask, what kind of evangelist are you? How well are you doing your job? That's a legitimate question. But I can't say you're not an evangelist. Because when you were baptized, they made you an evangelist, whether you knew it or not. You are an evangelist. And your pope and our church today is saying, rise up Catholic people. The need is urgent. That was a word that uh, John Paul II used so many times in his encyclical, 
mission of the Redeemer. He said the task is urgent. Urgent. Do you know there are over 7 billion people in the world and only one-third of them have encountered Christ? The others are waiting. They're waiting for what they have a right to. They are made in the image and likeness of God. They were made to go to heaven. Jesus' uh, Father sent his Son to open the way to heaven for all mankind. And it begins by hearing the word of God and believing it. And who's going to give them the word of God? Who did God plan would bring the word to all his children? You and me and us. And now we have the Pope saying, go, 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 go Catholics, go Catholics. Let's all say that together with Pope Francis. Go Catholics, go Catholics, go Catholics. He said, make a mess. I'd rather have a dirty, bruised church than one that just sits in the building and takes care of itself. Get out there, the Pope is saying. Get out there. Do it. As I prepared for the talk today, uh, I reviewed certain source materials. Let me tell you, I was trained as a lawyer. Lawyers don't sit in the office and say, what kind of law can I imagine or come up with to win my case? <laughs> Lawyers have to go and pull the books. Look at what the law is. Look at what the standards are. Understand those standards and then enter in and do the best you can. You need to know the teaching of the church regarding your apostolate as lay missionary disciples. You need to understand the teaching of the church. Where did I go to find the teaching of the church to present to you today? Well, first place I went was the sacred scripture. The word of God comes to us in sacred scripture and in the apostolic tradition of the church. It is presented to us by the magisterium authority of the church. So I went to the sacred scripture and I went to what the magisterium authority of the church has presented or developed and given us to help us understand this high vocation. I went to the Vatican II document, dogmatic constitution on divine revelation. Can everybody say that? It's kind of hard. Dogmatic constitution on divine revelation. Or if you love Latin, you can simply say de verbum. Just say that, de verbum. You see why everybody chooses the Latin phrases? <laughs> They're a lot easier. De verbum, the word of God. The word of God. And uh, I went to the Second Vatican Council document uh, titled Decree on the Apostolate of Lay People. All of you who are gathered here to develop your apostolate as a lay person, your apostolate as evangelist, need to read in the Second Vatican Council the Decree on the Apostolate of Lay People. Now some people are going to say, Ooh, I don't like to read all that stuff. What is a disciple? A disciple is a student. Who is God? God is the teacher. We have to pay attention like students do to the word of God when he speaks to us. He speaks to us in scripture and in the teaching of the church. So you need to get off the idea of I'm going to pray my rosary and that's it. I'll go to Sunday, I'll go to Mass some Sundays and that's it. That's inadequate. That's not enough. You're not fulfilling your basic vocation as disciples unless you sit before the Lord and have him teach you, which he does at Mass, praise God, and which he does in the Rosary, teach us the mysteries of our faith. But there's more to it. There's more to it. Go and read the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is three or four chapters. It goes on and on and on. One time when St. Paul was preaching, a young man was listening, 
and the young guy fell, out, fell asleep and fell out the window. The word of God can go on longer than you wish it would. Let's all say that together. The word of God can go on longer than you wish it would. God is willing to challenge you. He's willing to have you have a sense of burden and responsibility. And he expects you to pay attention and listen to his holy word. Because he paid a lot to get it to you. Jesus paid a lot to get that word to you. John Paul II's mission of the Redeemer, I've already mentioned it. Benedict XVI's, the word of God in the life and mission of the church. Verbum Domini, just say Verbum Domini. One was De Verbum from the Second Vatican Council. This one's Verbum Domini. Pope Francis, now let me tell you, Pope Francis is my hero. I don't want to hear you say anything bad about Pope Francis. I'm in favor of him. I'm in favor of that man. I believe he's come to us with the word of God. I believe the word of God is, get up Catholics, wake up. Even if you make a mess of things, go for it. I think that's God's word. And that's the word of Pope Francis. He's my friend. He's my hero. He wrote after the uh, bishops of the world met together in a synod. You've heard the word synod. You know what synod means? To travel together. The bishops of our church all got, most of, many of them got together and they traveled together. They explored and sought God about what does evangelization mean in our church today. And, the, and then after they shared documents and papers and discussions and prayer. They presented all this to the Pope and now he's got to write something that synthesizes what God said to the bishops of our church today about the work of evangelization. And the Pope wrote this wonderful uh, It's called Apostolic Exhortation, the joy of the gospel, the joy of the gospels, Pope Francis wrote. Let me, while I'm at it, show you. This is the word of God in the life and mission of the church by Benedict XVI. This is Verbum Domini. These are the documents of the Second Vatican Council. You can have a postgraduate degree in being a lay apostle and evangelist by reading this much with the Bible. When I went to law school, I read a hundred times this much <laughs> to learn the laws of men. But you can learn the laws of God because he presents things more clearly and more simply, but you have to pray to hear it. You have to open your heart. When I was in law school, no one said, pray and open your heart. <laughs> they never said that. You were supposed to get it all up here. But when you come to the Lord, he says, pray and open your heart. I'll make you a fisher of men. Come and follow me. Now, George Weigel's book, with, and, I'm not, and I'm not promoting George Weigel. I'm not, let's put it this way. My talk is not based on his book. My talk is inspired by his book, by his effort as an historian to show me that our church has entered a new era, the era of evangelical Catholicism. Can you all say that? Evangelical Catholicism. Does it make your skin crawl to say it? I hope not. 
I remember when Cardinal Soonins wrote his book on the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, some people's skin would crawl when they said, Catholic Pentecostalism, ooh! <laughs> Don't let it be that way. When we hear the teaching of the church, when we hear the word of God, and when it calls us to a change, a transition, a moving forward, let us not be chicken. My wife says evangelical Catholicism and deep Catholic reform. That's what his book is titled. Now in these source materials for the word of God to you and me in our lifetime right now, these source materials, they say we're all called to evangelize. I already said that. We're all called to evangelize. And there's no place for someone to say, well, not me. They said, no, all of us. We're going to see that as I, as I go to this the sources. John Paul II is responsible for so many good things that have come into our church in, in so many areas of church life and thought. And in large measure he's responsible for this move to the new evangelization which now the Pope says we're in the era of the new evangelization. He's responsible because he kept saying as he went into the world and hundreds of thousands of people gathered to hear him speak the word of God, he says, these people are hungry. These people, not all of them were Christian, not all of them were Catholics, these people are God's children. These people are entitled to hear the gospel. And so he kept saying, we need a new evangelization. And then he'd go to Europe where all the big Catholic history has occurred. And he saw empty churches and people who had no faith. People who were living in a world without God. And he said of those people, and who may be nominally Catholic, he said of those people, this place needs a new evangelization. This place needs a new evangelization. In Mission of the Redeemer, this is what he said, and this was published in 1990, I think, or thereabouts. God is opening before the church the horizons of a humanity more fully prepared for the sowing of the gospel. Did you hear that? Am I speaking clear enough? Yeah. I sense that the moment has come to commit all of the church's energies to a new evangelization and to the mission agentis, which means foreign missions. No believer in Christ, no institution of the church can avoid this supreme duty to proclaim Christ to all nations. Saint John Paul II said this to you and me. In the closing exhortation of the Council Fathers at the Second Vatican Council, in the decree on the apostolate of lay people, they have a wonderful exhortation, which has meant a lot to me. Over the years, I've gone back and read and reread this teaching of my church. I want to read it to you. This council, which is the Second Vatican Council, which was almost 50 years ago. This council then makes to all the laity an earnest appeal in the Lord to give a willing, noble, and enthusiastic response to the voice of Christ, who at this hour 
is summoning them more pressingly and to the urging of the Holy Spirit. It is the Lord himself in this council who is once more inviting all the laity to unite themselves to him ever more intimately, to consider his interest as their own, and to join in his mission as Savior. It is the Lord who is again sending them into every town and every place where he himself is to come. He sends them on an apostolate where they must show themselves his cooperators doing their full share continually in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord their labor cannot be lost. I want us to say this together. I know, I know that, in that in the Lord my labor cannot be lost. Now, Pope Francis, kind of a, a moderate, kind of a, a, a lukewarm pope, wouldn't you say? No, I wouldn't say that. No, I'd say he's red hot. He says, I dream of a missionary option. That is, a missionary impulse. And I think we have that written on, on our brochure. A missionary impulse capable of transforming everything so that the church's customs, ways of doing things, times and schedules, language and structures can be suitably channeled for the evangelization of today's world rather than for her church's self-preservation. Uh, Pope Francis is big on the subject. The church is not here to preach the church. God loves the church. He established the church. We're the church. He loves me. God, we are not here as church to preach the church. Amen. We're here as church to preach the Lord and to preach his gospel, to lift him on high. We serve him. And Pope Francis keeps saying, you need to read what Pope Francis is saying. It's hard to listen to me because I'm a peonk layperson in Lafayette. Go listen to what the Pope is saying. I'm, I'm presenting it to you in a, in a mild form. <laughs> you need to listen to him. Francis also says in the joy of the gospel, in virtue of their baptism, all the members of the people of God have become missionary disciples. Will all the missionary disciples raise their hands, please? All of us. You signed up at baptism whether you knew it or not. Your parents signed you up. All the baptized, whatever their position in the church, or their level of instruction in the faith, are agents of evangelization. And it would be insufficient to envision a plan of evangelization to be carried out by professionals while the rest of the faithful would simply be passive recipients. The new evangelization calls for personal involvement on the part of each of the baptized. Every Christian is challenged here and now. These are not my words. These are the Pope's words. Every Christian is challenged here and now to be actively engaged in evangelization. Indeed, anyone who has truly experienced God, saving love, 
does not need much time or length of training to go out and proclaim that love. We no longer say that we are disciples and missionaries, but rather that we are missionary disciples. St. Paul in the book of Acts, if you read it, you'll see he was struck down on the road to Damascus. The word of God came to him. God sent Ananias who laid hands on him and prayed the Holy Spirit come upon him. And he immediately, the scripture says, he immediately rose up and began to proclaim Jesus. Not only are you called and responsible before God for evangelizing, it's going to be a joy for you. It's going to be the happiest thing you've ever done in your life. You couldn't have a privilege greater than standing up and announcing good news to everybody, anybody, at any time. Or you can go sell shoes or teach about something man-made wisdom or you can be a lawyer and argue with people and try to beat them in a courtroom. For me, I favor evangelization. I favor standing up and announcing good news, especially to the poor, especially to the needy. It's a joy to evangelize. Pope Francis says, if we want to advance in the spiritual life, then we must constantly be missionaries. Let's all say that together. If we want to advance in the spiritual life, we must constantly be missionaries. The work of evangelization enriches the mind and the heart. It opens up spiritual horizons. It makes us more and more sensitive to the workings of the Holy Spirit and takes us beyond our limited spiritual constructs. Evangelization, the new evangelization. The apostle of lay people is to evangelize and sanctify the world. George Weigel says that the central document of the Second Vatican Council is the document, dogmatic constitution on divine revelation, or for us who like to do things simply, de verbum. He said that's the central document of the Second Vatican Council. Well, I don't know, I guess others could have other thoughts of what would be the most important document in the Second Vatican Council. They're all important. You ought to go through them and decide which ones you're most interested in and read them and highlight it and think about it and pray about it and, and go to other sources to learn more. That's your job as a disciple. Jesus is the teacher. You're the disciple. He's teaching you. It requires study. What the, what the dogmatic constitution on divine revelation did was it, it took... The word of God and put it in the central place of our faith. It is the central document of the Second Vatican Council and I'm not trying to dissuade us of our confidence in the Eucharist which is the source and summit of our faith. But the central document of the Second Vatican Council is dogmatic constitution on divine revelation. It means that we can't go anywhere without the Word of God. You can't have the Eucharist without the Word of God. The Word, the word of God creates the Eucharist, creates the church. And the church and the Eucharist proclaim the word of God to all mankind. 
In the prologue to St. John's Gospel, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. The Word is not just the book God wrote and the only book he ever wrote, the Bible. It's not just the Bible. The Word of God is Jesus who presents himself to us in the sacred uh, scripture and in the life and tradition of our church which was received by the apostles. The scripture says, and I just recited it to you, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him, and without him nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He was in the world, the Word. He was in the world, and the world came to be through him. But the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, but his own people did not accept him. But to those who did accept him, he gave power to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not by natural generation, nor by human choice, nor by man's decision, but by God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Benedict XVI is one of the greatest uh, defenders of the faith in, in church history. I don't know if you knew that. Cardinal Ratzinger was... was uh, installed in the Vatican, and his job was to make sure we stayed in God's Word. Because there are all kinds of heresies that present themselves within the church to be believed instead of believing the Gospel. And Ratzinger had to police all this stuff. If people complained about such and such a priest or such and such a person, it's rarely lay people because lay people don't influence anybody. But the priest and the bishops, when they complained about what they taught or what they said, they said it's not orthodox, it's not correct, that went to, judge, that went to Cardinal Ratzinger's office. And he had to decide the matter. Well, now he's a pope. <coughs> And what is he telling us with his vast background in knowing the Word of God? He, say, he says in Verbum Domini, which is the Word of God in the life and mission of the church, he says, may we allow ourselves to be led by the Holy Spirit to an ever greater love of the Word of God. The Pope who was there before Francis said that to you. He also said to you and me, my hope is that the word will be ever more fully at the heart of every ecclesial activity. He also said, the church is built upon the word of God. She is born from and lives by that word. He is probably the greatest expert in in the Word of God, in Scripture, and in tradition that has lived in the church maybe at any time, but certainly in our time. And he's telling us to get, get serious and learn the Word of God. And that's what the Second Vatican Council said to us. Once we say the word of God is important, then we come to what the church leads us to, to understand that the Bible, I want everybody to say this, the Bible is good. The Bible is good. The Bible is important. The Bible is 
I need to read the Bible. If you want to be an evangelist, you got to know what you're talking about. And about 90% of what you're going to be talking about, what we as lay people talk about, is what's in the Bible. Now, praise God, you've got a leg up on this, because you've been going to church. Everybody say after me, I've been going to church. I've been going to church. I sure hope that's true. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. I need to go to church. I need to pay attention at Mass. I need to pay attention at Mass. Because that's where Scripture is presented to us. There can be no Mass without the reading of Scripture. Every sacrament of the church brings forth the Word of God in Scripture. And the sacraments are founded upon the scriptural directions and instructions and hopes that God has given us. Sacred scripture, the dogmatic constitution on divine revelation says, sacred scripture has God as their author. Now that's not to say God came down from heaven one night and he, he hung out in the public library and wrote the Bible. No. He called Matthew, Matthew, I'm going to inspire you and you write the account of Jesus' life which I inspire you to give. Mark, Luke, John, Jeremiah, Isaiah, King David, he inspired his servants to write what he gave them to write and he is the author of the scripture. And it's the only thing he ever authored in that way. And the hard thing about the Bible is you can't find these things. You could never take one home and read it, right? It's a hidden book, right? No book has ever been published more than the Bible all over the world, let me tell you. It's there, the Word of God is there, in the church and in the houses of people. Pope Francis recently uh, was at a gathering of hundreds of thousands of people, God knows how many gather now, to hear him when he stands out on his balcony to talk. And he told everybody, or he, what happened was, an organization in the church that takes its identity in distribution of the Bible to Catholics. He invited those people to come to the gathering. I think it was, uh, the theme was family life. And this organization, he said, all right, go out there and give a Bible to every family that's here. To every family that's here. I like Pope Francis. He gets to the point. He does what needed. He's where the rubber hits the road. He's where the rubber hits the road. If he's in a, con uh, a parade and there's a man on the side here trying to enjoy the Pope, he stops the parade, he gets off his Pope mobile and goes give the guy a hug. He gave the people in the, at the general audience a Bible. Here. Put this in your hands. Take that home. Read that Bible, what the Pope said. I hope you heard the Lord tell you that long ago. Every evangelist needs a Bible. I hope you have a Bible. I hope it's one you can carry. I hope it's one you can read and understand what you're reading. And when you don't, like Mary, meditate upon it until the Holy Spirit clarifies your understanding, go to the footnotes, go to commentaries, go to the concordance. The concordance shows you all the places in the Bible where that same word you're struggling with occurs. And you can read what the Bible teaches about the Bible. A great uh, professor 
a Catholic professor of sacred scripture, Mr. Brown, Raymond Brown, said, the book that teaches most about the Bible is the Bible. It's a big book. It's a library of books. The book that teaches most about the Bible is the Bible. Read the Bible. When missionaries come to be with us, as they do, right now we have 40 missionaries in training, I tell them this, in the first year of your missionary life, I want you to promise you're going to read through the entire Bible. Let me tell you, that's easy when talking about the gospel, but when you get to the book of Chronicles and start reading the names of... Woo! Talk about purgatory. Talk about penance. Talk about fasting. You're doing it. Read the whole Bible. And then when you finish reading the Bible, start over again. The more you read the Bible, the more you will understand the Bible. And if you don't read the Bible, you will never understand the Bible. You have to read the Bible prayerfully. Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina means you take the Holy Word of God and the church teaches when this word is read in, at Mass, for instance, we're hearing the voice of God. When we go to Mass, we're receiving the body and blood of Christ. It doesn't look like it, maybe, but it is. And when we go to Mass and they read the Bible, we're hearing the, word, the voice of God. God Almighty is really talking to us. Sit yourself in quiet prayer. Place yourself in God's presence. Tell him how much you love him. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Submit yourself to him. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth and in Frank as it is in heaven. And open the scripture and let him talk to you. Benedict XVI, who was the greatest scholar of God's word in our time, I'm imagining. He was big on the idea of putting yourself into dialogue with God. We have to come to have a personal relationship with God. God is not, Cardinal uh, Timothy Dolan said not so long ago, and it's been said a thousand million times by, by others, our commitment, our faith, is not in a doctrine. We have faith in a doctrine, but that's not where our faith begins. Our faith is in a person. Our faith is in a person. That's the teaching of the church. Our faith is in a person, and the person's name is Jesus. It can't be hard to have a personal relationship with God. He's the only one I know of who has three persons in one God. You can know him as Father, you can know him as Jesus, you can know him as the Holy Spirit. He can fill your understanding with his personal presence. Who he is and how he is and what he does and what he says to you and what he expects of you and his promises to you and his forgiveness of you. Talk to him. You won't be disappointed. Talk to the Lord. Evangelical prayer is a prayer that is focused on the Word of God. There are two prayers that I'm familiar with that are highly focused on the Word of God. One is the Liturgy of the Hours, which is the official prayer book of our church. The Liturgy of the Hours, the Divine Office. The divine office leads us to pray the psalms. To pray the psalms. Our father wrote these prayers. He put them in the book of psalms. And when we pray the prayers he wrote, he wrote they lead us into a, a deep understanding of who he is and how he is. And what he looks for in us. 
Pray the liturgy of the hours. And I want everybody to say, I will consider <laughs> praying the liturgy of the hours. Because I'm a missionary evangelist. And my prayer must center in the word of God. There's a second prayer form that centers in the word of God that the church is calling our attention to and suggesting that we enter into. It's called Lectio Divina. That's another Latin term. Let's say it together. Lectio Divina, which I interpret as divine reading. Divine reading or reading in the presence of the divine, maybe. In divine reading, you do what I learned to do when I was a charismatic, you know how long I've been a missionary, did I say that? 40 years, 40 years. I turned to the Lord and entered the charismatic renewal 42 years ago. But for 40 years I've been a missionary. And thanks be to Jeannie, we were successful. <laughs> and we have seven children. And we have 20 grandchildren. And some of our children and grandchildren have already served in the missions. Why not? Let me tell you, when God called you to be a missionary, you ought to have a big smile and you say what Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. He's choosing you for the best. He's choosing you for the most. He's going to give you joy as you evangelize. That's what the Pope said. The joy of evangelization. Don't miss the opportunity, but you can't do it just because you think it's a good idea. Got to spend some time with the Lord and ask him. Is this for me, Lord? And then, of course, you have to choose where you're going to be a missionary. And there's only one answer for that. You have to come to Family Mission Company. <laughs> Is that true? No. 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 There are many organizations within the church that train and send out missionaries. We are lay Catholic missionaries. We have one uh, family that has 11 children. Everybody who has 11 children, raise your hand. <laughs> but you don't have to have 11 children to be a missionary with us. James Frankie doesn't have any children. And he's a missionary with us. So uh, consider it. You can do it. Mission life is doable. And if going to the other side of the world, living in China and talking to the people there about Jesus is doable, let me tell you, you can talk about Jesus in your hometown. You can talk about Jesus to the people you work with. You can talk about Jesus to the lady at the checkout counter at Walmart. There's nobody you can't talk to about Jesus. There's nobody for whom God's word was not prepared to bring salvation and joy. Now, there may be an, a few minutes in the day when it's not best time for me to talk about Jesus to this particular person. Maybe I have to bide my time. Maybe I have to pray and ask the Lord to prepare me and prepare the circumstances. But there's no human being that you can't talk with about Jesus. Now, you might get killed doing it. A lot of the best Christians got killed doing it. It's not wrong to get killed talking about Jesus. It isn't. The first wonderful gift God can give you is to make you a missionary. The second most wonderful gift he can give you is to make you a martyr. <laughs> the two go together pretty well, too, I'll have to tell you. In the world today, there's more martyrdom than there's ever been in human history. And uh, we, tell our, we tell our missionaries, we want you to follow the example of St. Paul. Run away! <laughs> if you can, run away! 
But if you can't, and it catches up with you, thank the Lord and praise him. That's what the martyrs did in the Colosseum in Rome. They were burned at the stake and fed to the lions, and they praised the Lord. We want to follow their example, and the grace will come at that time. Vatican II document on the dogmatic constitution on the church says, the sacred scriptures are the very source of evangelization. It's indispensable that the word of God be ever more fully at the heart of every ecclesial activity. They telling me my time's running out. Boy, I hope God doesn't send you down the purgatory for every minute that you ran over when you were talking. I'll be there forever. <laughs> I loved uh, Cardinal Timothy Dolan. Last year I spoke on something he said at a mass at the Vatican. He said, they said, you tell us, what are we going to do in this time of the secular world, secular society? The Pope and the Cardinals wanted to know. You're from New York. You're from the heartland of secularism. Tell us what we have to do as a church to announce the gospel in a secularized world. You know what the word secularized means in plain English? Godless. Godless. Our secular community and society has taken God out of everything. No praying to God in the schools. No this, no that. We are creating, voluntarily allowing ourselves to become a godless society, but I'm not a godless person, and neither are you. But our society is forcing that down our throats. And they asked Cardinal Timothy Dolan, well, what are we going to do to present the word of God, to be evangelists in the time of the godless West? West being America and Europe. Europe is even more godless than America is. America has more people going to church than any other country in the world. And Europe has the biggest churches in the world with no one in them. What do we do to escape godlessness? And Cardinal Timothy Dolan said, well, let me tell you. Uh, New York may be the capital of secularism and godlessness, but there's some good Christians in New York City, and I believe him, and I've seen them. God has not given up on New York City, and I know he hasn't. But Cardinal Dolan said, we must be convinced. We, must, we, we, we people, human beings, who are to evangelize, must be, Convinced, confident, and courageous. Can you say that to yourself? I want to be, I must be, convinced, confident, and courageous. It's not going to happen just because you believe it. It's not going to happen just because you want it. You've got to step out and do it. You've got to step out and talk to the lady at the checkout counter at Walmart about Jesus. Look for the occasion. Say the prayer. Lord, give me the opportunity to speak of you and your gospel today. And watch and see how he does it. But when he opens the door, step through it. Humbly. Sincerely. Speak of Jesus. If the lady's sick and a little bit, her son is in jail, say, can I pray with you? And pray with her. Almighty God hears prayers. Let's all say that together. Almighty God hears prayers. <laughs> Who was it that said, ask and you shall receive? Who said such an outlandish thing? <laughs> 
I can't believe it. They don't say that on television. Jesus is our friend. He is the Almighty. And he's asking us to get the job done for him. He gave us a great commission. And we think, well, that's Peter. And, the, and I think a lot of us grew up thinking, well, the great commission, that's for the original 12 apostles. Well, imagine if God were waiting on the 12 apostles today. They're all dead. <laughs> the church says that that great commission is for all of us. Go into the whole world. Announce the gospel to all creation. I'm going to be with you. Lay your hands upon the sick and they will be healed. Cast out demons. Baptize them in, in Matthew. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't suggest you go home and start baptizing people in the back of the church without permission. <laughs> but the point is, whatever needs doing, do it. Do it. Brothers and sisters, I think I've used... Have I used my time, Joe? What? <laughs> oh my God, God's keeping records of this stuff. I want to close by reading something which I was delighted to read in the joy of the gospel. It, 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 Saint... Uh, Saint St. Pope Francis, I've already got him there, guys. <laughs> he says, the first, you know what the word kerygma means? I know the sisters and brothers from, uh, from Texas know, there they are. They have an apostolate named kerygma. Kerygma is the basic, central word of God that we must make sure we're announcing when we go out to evangelize. God loves us. We're sinners. Jesus will forgive us. We can have a new life. The Holy Spirit will come and fill us. And we need to pray, read God's word, participate in all the sacraments, build a community and a church that is holy, and go out in the apostolate. That's the kerygma. And here's what the Pope said about the kerygma, and I'm going to read this and end my talk. The first announcement, or kerygma, needs to be the center of all evangelizing efforts at church renewal. On the lips of the catechist, the first proclamation must ring out over and over. Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his life to save you. And now he's living at your side every day to enlighten, strengthen, and free you. The first proclamation is called first, not because it exists at the beginning, and can then be forgotten or replaced by other more important things. It is first in a qualitative sense because it is the principal proclamation, the one which must, we must hear again and again in different ways, the one which we must announce one way or another throughout the process of catechesis at every level and moment. We must not think that in catechesis the kerygma gives way to a supposedly more solid formation. Nothing is more solid, profound, secure, meaningful, and wisdom-filled than that initial proclamation. All Christian formation consists of entering more deeply into the kerygma. 
we can insert the word evangelist where he uses the word catechist. In this instance, the catechist would be acting as evangelist. Brothers and sisters, I hope I've done a good job. I, I want to tell you, I, I prayed a long time and read a lot and meditated a lot. And Joseph kept reminding me I have to keep within the time. He knows me well. And I didn't. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But I hope God has given you instruction that will help you to be convinced and confident and courageous in your life as missionary disciples. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>